What was Jesus talking about when he talked about living water? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dembozik. So, Brian, today we are continuing our survey of the life and ministry of Jesus um, all through the gospels. Today is also where we get to uh, we get to jump into a, a pretty fun passage. So, yeah, this is add this to the list of some of my favorite passages. It's a long list. There's like 66 books in that that list. Right? Right? Yeah. So yeah. we are exploring the uh, we're exploring Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and it is a fascinating passage. It is it is one that there's always new things to pick up on uh, the more you read it, and uh, there are things that get, of course, always get missed by by us Westerners. Um, but God is good and keeps teaching us all kinds of yeah. new things through it. So how about you kick us off? by unpacking where we find this in Jesus' ministry. Yeah, again, as as we have covered in several of the more recent episodes, this is this is still pretty early in his ministry, the early stages. Um, and what I think is helpful here is to think of the geography. And this is where geography really starts to come to bear at for the first time, perhaps, or uh, for the first important time as you're reading through the Gospels, because we see Jesus going to Samaria, which we're going to talk about, or going through Samaria, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But if you kind of think about it, um, you see this contrast, and I think John did it intentionally, where we had Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews before this, and he's followed immediately by by the Samaritan woman. It's a strong contrast. Again, we're going to talk about this a lot more, and many of our listeners are probably already familiar with it, but you have that contrast in uh, the flow of the narratives, but also the geography here. I think it's important and helpful for us to take a minute to make sure we're clear on the three major areas that you're going to rub shoulders with as you explore the Gospels, especially for maybe a newer believer or if if somebody's listening who teaches kids or, or newer believers and, and that kind of thing, this this might be new information for them. So the first area, of course, is Judea. Uh, Judea is where the seat of Jewish religious life and politics would have been because Jerusalem was in Judea. It's the southern part of, of the region. This is where Jesus has more of his confrontations. So as you're reading through, when you see Jesus kind of uh, being confronted by the religious leaders, it's almost always in Judea. There are times it seems like Jesus intentionally left Judea when it got too hot before it was his time. It seems like, all right, let me go up to Galilee and let things settle down here for a minute. That brings up Galilee. Galilee was the northern area. It's more of the blue collar area. It's where the fishermen were. They're up by the Sea of Galilee and so forth. Um, a lot of trading um, and that kind of thing. So Galileans were actually looked down on by the Judeans. Uh, the Judeans were the religious elite. Um, Galileans were unlearned according to their thinking. Um, they would interact more with the Gentiles. There are some major traveling roads that went through Galilee. And so Galileans would often interact more with those Gentiles. And, um, and so this is where you see Jesus interact more with the people, uh, just the commoner. Then you have Samaria, which is right in the middle. 
Samaria was the land where you had people who were part Jewish and part Gentiles living. So these were mostly people who were left behind. Their ancestors were left behind um, during the exiles. And then during the exiles, Gentiles came into the land. And these are the, the descendants of those ancestors. These are part Jew, part Gentile. They were despised by Jews, all, all the Jews. Um, they were worse than Gentiles. They were compromised and so forth. So this area of Samaria sandwiched between the elite Judea and the blue-collar Galilee is where Jesus is traveling through in this account. Um, and again, so just kind of get your bearings. It's really helpful as you're reading through the Gospels to know where something is happening because sometimes it can kind of clue you into uh, what Jesus does and why. I think it's. I think that is really helpful to point out that the the like particularly about the Galileans um, that these are the the blue collar people um, as you put it that they're they're just ordinary work a day you know work a day folks and um, and so this is something that we that we have to remember too is, is that Jesus is. Uh, Jesus' message, Jesus' ministry was for all people. Um, he went to, he went and, and each type of person, he had a different and appropriate response for. Yeah. And so as we think about mission and how we are called to go with the gospel to all people, there should be no one that we should say, well, I, I, I don't think I should go and serve those people. Um, over here, there really there's no one that we should neglect in terms of pursuit for ministry. That um, that all people need the message of the gospel, and that's one of the good takeaways. Again, we're as we usually do. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, hey, so it's so easy to get absolutely. ahead of ourselves, but that's that's an important takeaway of this passage. Yeah. yeah. Now, what kind of questions should we be asking as we're as we're just reading and studying? Well, the first one I think is is what I just intimated, and and it's it's really apparent when you understand the geography and the people who lived where they lived. It's easy to read over if you don't understand. But in verse four, um, of, of again of John four, uh, we read that Jesus had to travel through Samaria. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know any better, you'll just read on and, okay, what's next? But if you understand this, you, you pause there and say, wait a minute, why? Why did he have to go through Samaria? Because he actually didn't. Um, most Jews would bypass Samaria. They would cross the Jordan River and either head north to get from Judea to Galilee or head south from Galilee to Judea and then cross the Jordan River again back into that region. They would bypass it because they didn't want to go through Samaritan soil. They didn't want it to tarnish their the, the soles of their feet even. Right. And so when you read Jesus had to go through Samaria, you have to pause there and say, why? Um, and I think that the reason we see following, of course, is he was compelled to go according to God's sovereign plan for this encounter with the Samaritan woman. She is the reason he went through Samaria instead of bypassing it like most Jews would have done in that day. Another thing that we should be asking as we look at this passage is what was notable about the encounter with the Samaritan woman herself. You think about the cultural context, men and women typically didn't really interact, certainly not to the degree that Jesus did with 
this woman in public. Um, and Jews and Samaritans definitely did not. Um, yeah. I mean, you said it before. There was this strong animosity between between the two peoples. And as we get into the encounter with with this woman, we see uh, we see some of why, and and a lot of it had to do with worship issues. Um, and so that is so so all of that is is part of this really complicated relationship that these two people have um, and this this woman was uh, most likely um, of a poor reputation um, there are there are she is said to have been married multiple times she was living with someone who was not her husband um, there are some interesting um, explanations of this that it's like we tend to read this as as her being you know an adulterous woman or um you know someone prone to loose living or whatever kind of language and euphemisms you want to use um but it may have been something much more complicated than that um i've heard some interpretations suggesting things like abuse being involved and you know and and things like this and the truth is is that we don't know, but we do. What we do know from the text is that this was a woman who had no real significant relationships. Yeah. Um, she had, she didn't have any reason to expect that someone like Jesus would have anything to say to her, <laughs> um, let alone ask her for a drink. And yeah. yet he did. Um, and so she came and but she did come at a time when no one else would be there and so these are these are so what we see is is this beautiful picture of to your point earlier of jesus going because he needed to go and see her the thought is and and this depends on how you you tell time there is two ways of, of telling time based on you know the the what was the first hour of the day um, you, you start from sun up or, or noon, I think is the other way. Um, and so there's a little bit of difference in opinion about what time it was, but I think one of the more common, and I kind of lean this way is sh- this was in the middle of the day. This is the hottest part of the day. Generally women would have gone to draw water and they would have gone in the morning before it was really hot. Um, and so it seems like all right, she is intentionally going to the well to avoid the other women. It was a social activity. So why? Why did she do that? And I think a lot of people suspect it's because she was kind of an outcast here. She was probably a hurting woman. As you said, she had multiple marriages. Either they ended by divorce or something or, or the husbands died. However you want to look at it, she's probably gone through a lot of pain in her mm-hmm. life one way or another. Um, she's seems like she's at a outcast. Here's a woman who's hurting. And the next thing you know, one day she's going about her normal routine and a Jewish rabbi talks to her, somebody she recognizes as, as a Jewish rabbi. And, 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 you know, that alone, that act of kindness on the part of Christ is amazing. And then he gets to the conversation and, and he gets to this idea, and it's one of the main ideas of, of a living water. You know, she, she offers or he asks for water and... And he basically says, hey, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for water. And she says, well, you don't have anything to even draw with. And he's like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living water. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, it's a double meaning. She was hearing it as the literal meaning, which I think, to be fair, most of us would have in her shoes as well. 
Um, so in that time, of course, and even today, you have well water, which uh, could have been okay to drink, of you know, but it's it could be dirty and cloudy as the water's just sitting there. Um, and and so that probably was not as refreshing, as cool, as clean as what was called living water, which would be river water, flowing water. So you think if you had a choice between a well and a fresh water stream nearby, you're going to go to the fresh water stream mm-hmm. every day, any day. So she's thinking that way. She's like, wait a minute, no, there's this well here, a little bit dirty water, but at least it keeps you hydrated. You know where there's a there's a spring nearby, a, a you know a river. You know, That's what she's thinking of. But really, Jesus has this double meaning in mind of life that he is the source of life. Um, and it, and you see this throughout scripture. Think of Numbers 20, uh, where water gushed from the rock um, back to, to provide water for the Israelites to drink. Mm-hmm. That provided them life. And so the Bible will often use that metaphor of water, living water, pointing toward life. And so that's, of course, what Jesus is offering here. He said, I've got something better than, than water that will keep you physically alive for a time. I've got something that will give you spiritual life forever right and another thing that uh jesus started talking about was a ready harvest and so we should as we notice that we should be wondering what does he mean by that and um fortunately john is very kind to us and he he (laughs) gives us the most likely explanation right in verse chapter or right in verse 39 of chapter 4 um saying that that you know, when the woman ran to the people and told them to come see this man who told me everything that I ever did. And they all came and saw Jesus and they all believed and these people believed in him and he stayed there for days. Um, that that may well have been the answer right there. Um, something that we should also keep in mind is that this was an agrarian culture. And so most of us, um, Certainly, I don't know much about uh, much about farming. So, but I shouldn't say most of us because, you know, who know, who knows where people are yeah. listening to this from and what backgrounds they have. But we don't know yes, about farming. We can certainly say that. Brian and I do not know anything about farming. Um, the two northerners living in the south, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, we, um, but I mean, you know, sowing and reaping happen in different seasons. So I understand. And, um, you know, but in the gospel context, these things happen at any time. We use, we use this, this agrarian language, um, for mission constantly. Um, and mm-hmm. so there are season, there are seasons, but the seasons are, are not predictable the way that we would think the way that natures are because they're based on the spirit's work. And so, um, so, and not, and we don't always get to reap what we sow is, uh, is what we, what we read elsewhere. So we get to hear, so, but we do all are required to take part in that. And we have the privilege of taking part in that. And so it, whether we are, reaping what we've sown or we're reaping what someone else has sown or we are sowing what others will eventually reap we get to count it all joy but um one of the other things that's interesting in in all of this though as we think about the ready harvest and just this encounter is is just the the response of the disciples as well and so just that they seemed way more concerned about having something to eat than they did about anything else, including this woman. And yeah. so, and that's one of those things that 
is a little bit shocking, is a little bit disappointing, uh, is more than a little bit convicting, and should be a reminder for all of us that that um, just like Jesus was encouraging them to open their eyes, to be ready to act, to see the opportunities that God is giving them to share the gospel with someone else, to share living water with others, um, that we need to do the same. And that really leads us to the big question, doesn't it? Well, and and before we get there, I just love, I mean, the cluelessness of the disciples here. And, and we got to see it sympathetically because, again, let's not be as, as, as haughty as to think that we would have you know, we would have known everything. We would have done everything right. But they come back and they're like, they're amazed. You see in verse 27, they're amazed that Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman. They, they saw the tail end of the conversation, but yet nobody asked him about it. And it's like, no, we're not going to. So they don't, they're amazed. They want to understand this. They want to know more, but they don't. Instead, what do they do? They just keep banging the drum. Hey, uh, Jesus, we brought you a sandwich. Why don't you eat something? And then he says, well, no. I have food to eat that you don't know about talking about something much more significant talking about, Hey, I've come, what feeds me, what gets me going is fulfilling the mission I've come to do. What just happened with this encounter as a woman trumps a sandwich and they respond. They're like, well, did somebody bring him something to eat? (laughs) (laughs) It's just this cluelessness. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we're going to talk in a minute. We can learn a lot from Christ's graciousness to them and the Samaritan woman. So how does this point us to the gospel? I, again, it's this is another one where it's it's really on the mm-hmm. nose. Jesus is that living water. He came to provide eternal life to all people and all would be emphasized. All people who believe in him, mm-hmm. people from every tr- tongue, tribe, and nation. Um, Jesus was not just the Messiah of the Jews. He is the savior of the world. And so this is something that is apparent in this passage that it reminds us that salvation life is only through Jesus and that message is to be taken to all of the world. Yeah. And um, so as we, as we always want to do when we, when we discuss a passage on this, on this show, and really as we study the scriptures for ourselves or in groups, we want to think about it um, from a discipleship perspective. So, um, what kind of guidance can we offer when we're working through this with someone else? Yeah, let me just kind of uh, finish the thought that I, I hinted at mm-hmm. a minute ago. Um, we can learn so much from Jesus's patience here. Um, notice how patient he was with the woman. She didn't get it at first either. Again, she's thinking, all right, he's talking about literal water. You don't have a jar or anything. And um, so it takes her a while. It slowly dawns on her. And a lot of people have rightly pointed out the progression on how he, ad- how she addresses him. Um, and so you see this, this recognition in her developing to the point where she goes to the others nearby and says, come meet this man. Maybe he's the Messiah. So notice the patience with her. Um, and then notice the patience with the disciples, even here when they're like, they just keep going back to food and, and he keeps taking them away. But notice he doesn't chastise them. Um, I would love to have been there and kind of seen his facial expression or whatever. But um, but notice he's patient with them. He, he, he recognizes their difficulty in understanding these these bigger truths, their distraction about worldly things such as a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, and but he takes them and moves them to the greater truth of the gospel. You see it in this vignette. You see it even more so through the gospels overall. 
just how patient he is with them as he moves them along time and time again. They are clueless. Uh, they get tripped up so much, and yet he is just gracious with them. And God is gracious and kind with us in the same way. And therefore, we need to be gracious and kind with others. So that that's one takeaway. Yeah, and with that too, I mean, when you think about how um, Jesus really addressed her lifestyle and addressed what was going on in her, you'll notice that as the encounter progressed, um, when he's like, you know, when he's like, yeah, you're right, you don't have one husband, you have you've had many, and the man you live with now isn't even your husband. Um, she immediately changes the subject. Yeah. And what we need to do, what we need to remember there is, is that, you know, in, in responding graciously and in, in being patient and kind and loving, um, we don't need to see that as the end of a conversation. Someone's discomfort changing the subject and she changed it to something very important, which is yes. interesting too, um, because she didn't move from, um, she didn't move off onto a, you know, a safe tangent. She moved right to the heart of the matter of, okay, our people say this, your people say that, which is right. Yeah. And, and I think that's the, the blooming recognition of who she was talking with that she, I think at this point she's wait, wait a minute, this is somebody who I don't want to miss the opportunity. Here's a question that's really important about worship. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. Absolutely. And what's important here as well is um, undoubtedly over time, you are going to encounter people who will say things like, well, Jesus never said he was blank, whether it's the Messiah, the Christ, or God. Um, this is one of those passages where he does that. And he does it really explicitly because she says, in, this is verse 25, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then verse 26 says, Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Pretty clear. He is saying, this is who I am. And, and don't miss the significance, especially as you're, as you're talking through this, studying it with someone else. Don't miss the significance of the fact that the, one of the first explicit statements of his identity in the Gospel of John is to someone who is not of the religious establishment, who is not of um, a good societal stature either. This is the the outcast of the outcast of the outcast. And it's practically it's, yeah, it's part of John's theme. Yeah. Jesus is for the world. So yeah, really, really important. And, and I just love also as we're thinking through, um, a lot of times we're navigating conversations with somebody who may be a skeptic uh, or maybe somebody like maybe she became in this moment, maybe falls into a posture of a little bit defensiveness and, and they'll want to change the subject. And a lot of times they'll change it with a question that, that is, that is good. Like she does. And I think, you know, the, the rule of thumb is, yeah, when somebody throws a rabbit out there to be chased, um, don't lose sight of the, the overall, the more important objective of keeping the gospel center but also honor that person. Generally, mm -hmm. it's a question that is, it's not a fake question. Usually in my experience, it's, it's a real question. It's sincere. 
it may be a, a, a way to get the conversation away from the better, more important place that, that the conversation needs to go. But I've heard some people before in evangelism training, for example, basically say, oh, just you know, put the question aside, keep it on task. And it's like, wait a minute, is that really honoring the person? Um, I, would, I would offer better counsel, I think, is, yeah, answer the question, especially if it's something that be answered quickly or easily. Um, honor the person, but then get it back. And there may be a relationship even where you can say, you know what? It seems like you're asking that question because you want to avoid the more important question at hand. <laughs> can we come mm-hmm. back to that? So I think depending on, on the relationship that you have, um, you can actually call that out in gently, yeah. uh, but a little bit of firmness. Kind of takes me to another big idea of guidance here is about evangelism, as, as I'm just talking about that. Notice this woman becomes an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And, and some of us might balk and say, wait a minute, but she, how can she be an evangelist? She just encountered Jesus. Well, that's the point. It's never too early to evangelize. Anybody who is trusted in Christ is now an evangelist and can and should share his or her faith with others. Notice what she does. She didn't ever have a really robust theological background at this point, did she? She just went to into town and said, let me tell you about my experience. Let me tell you about the man I met. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great, great suggestion for us to pass along to people we are discipling, even if they are a brand new believer. No, it's not a matter of waiting a, a window of time until you're eligible to be, you know, share the gospel. No, you get out there and do it. And even if you yeah. don't know exactly what to talk about, because you don't know all the doctrinal nuances and so forth, that doesn't matter. Tell them about your experience. Tell them about what happened to you, how, mm-hmm. who Jesus is, how you met him, how and why you've trusted in him. Let your story be the one, as we see here, motivate others to come to Christ and, and seek him as well. All right, Brian, I think that's a good place for us to to wrap this for today. So thanks for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help your ministry focus on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. Finally, we know that there are a lot of churches that are in the process of looking at how they they return and resume to, to in-person ministry. And so we at LifeWay, we want to help you with that. Uh, we want to help your church sustain and support its ministry. And so we've put together a church assistance package that you can learn more about and sign up for free at uh, LifeWay.com slash church assistance. So check that out and uh, we hope it's helpful for you. Oh,